I'll be reading from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Good morning. It's awesome to preach to you guys this morning. It's always a, an amazing opportunity, um, and I want to thank the elders for that. Um, I always am sharpened um, by these sermons, so I, I really appreciate uh, the chance to do this. So, um, something that I was thinking about when I was starting to figure out what I was going to preach about this morning, because I'm always trying to sort of measure uh, what I want to preach about versus uh, what, what God wants me to preach about, because sometimes they are at odds with each other. Um, and obviously the message that God chooses is always going to be better, so that's the one I want to, that's the one I want to go with. So, leading into this next year, because we're, we're at the gateway to 2020, which, as crazy as that sounds, it's, it's real close. And usually about this time of year, this is when people start thinking about New Year's resolutions, and rightly so, because the New Year's right around the corner. But something I usually like to do, uh, since I've been blessed with this opportunity to give the message for sort of the end of 2019, is something that um, I want us to do real quick before I really get into this, is I, I want us to think for a second, if to look back for just a moment on 2019, and I want you to think about who or what led you through 2019. And it sounds like a very simple question. And at different points in time, it probably changed. But my message this morning, when it, it comes to God and about him being our leader, I wanted us to think about things that maybe we've allowed us, allowed to lead us in the past, and coming up into 2020, what we're going to allow us to lead us into next year. And as usual, people who have 
sat through my long-winded sermons before, you know there's a lot of scripture, um, and I will have that up on the screen. But right now, at this point, I'm trying to make sure that I did not play 52-card pickup with my sermon, because that would be a fun end of the year, starting with the end. Well, that'd definitely keep people on their toes. Um... So a couple years back, uh, many of you know, my last couple years of high school were pretty insane. I had a lot of irons in the fire. That's the way my dad would always describe that uh, to people when I couldn't attend something or I was too busy, uh, which was very true. It wasn't an excuse. I had a lot of stuff going on. Um, But sort of what the prelude to that was I made a, a critical mistake, and that was I was part of Civil Air Patrol and Boy Scouts at the same time. Now, what that means is I was going for two different ranks in two different organizations, both of which were like after-school stuff, you know, extracurricular, and they both demanded a lot of my time and attention. And I was afraid, once I got to a certain point, that I was going to fizzle out of both and not achieve either of my goals. And I hit this critical moment. Um, I was sitting downstairs in my basement, um, and I was just sitting there. And things felt like they were just sort of spinning out of control. And it was a scary moment because I was forced to realize that I could not lead myself through this trial. And obviously it's better if you can come to that conclusion before you're in trial. But I realized I had come to the end of myself and I didn't have it. I didn't have what it took to lead myself through these trials. And obviously, God is very complex, so this isn't going to be a a complete list. But I just wanted to read some scripture and pull out some things that I learned about God and about him being a leader. And I want to sort of make an argument for allowing him to lead you into 2020. So we're going to start off in Genesis Um, I'll have the slides here if I can hit the sensor spot. Yes! Love it when that works. Um, So the backstory to this. Abraham has been promised uh, that his descendants would inhabit the land of Canaan. And more specifically, God promised that this would be fulfilled through Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac. That was a very specific promise that God made to Abraham. And that's important. So a little while after Isaac is born... God comes to Abraham with a test. He tells Abraham to take his son and to sacrifice him on a mountain that God would show him. And this is a moment where Abraham is going to find out about himself and his relationship with God. We as the reader, narratively, are going to see how this plays out. So starting in uh, chapter 22, verses 6 through 19. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
and the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. So as usual, after I use scriptures, I will there will be a specific looking slide and this is basically what I learned um, about God when it comes to leadership from that story. And what I learned from this is God always upholds his promises. Even when we stumble, God is steadfast. When I was little, it was this huge revelatory mind bomb that when Abraham is at the base of the mountain, he tells his servants that my son and I are going up on the mountain, but we'll return to you. And that blew my mind as a little kid to have that much faith. And when I was a little kid, I thought when Abraham was talking to Isaac and said, God will provide the lamb, I thought that was like an ominous, like, oh, he's talking about Isaac. But no, he meant God's going to provide a different sacrifice. He had that much faith. And that story shows how much faith Abraham had in the promises of God. To him, it wasn't abstract, it was concrete. It was something he could hang his hat on. And he had that much faith that he was able to follow through with God's commands, but still have that much faith. And that's really cool to me. Hopping over to Exodus 14, 10 through 18. So the Israelites have been freed from Egypt at this point, and they've begun their pilgrimage to the promised land, and they've come to their first real obstacle. I mean, once they left Egypt, the people were literally throwing treasures at them. So, so far, the leave has been pretty good. They get to their first big obstacle, the Red Sea. Not only that, but Pharaoh and his army is beginning to bear down on them from behind, and they're trapped and they know it. This moment is going to be important for Israel because now they have a question they, that they need to answer is what do we do when we are faced 
with an imminent threat. We've been told about this God, and remember, the Israelites have been living in a polytheistic nation for a long time. And so their understanding of how God's work is very trade-based. And so they're up against the sea, and they're faced with a, a very big trial. So I'm going to start in verse 10 and read through 18. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. After reading that whole story, a truth that I took uh, about God and him being our leader is that when our hours are at their darkest, God shines brightest. We see it mirrored in the Bible when it talks about in our weakness. He's strong. He shines in those moments. But here I have to make a quick point here, which is something I struggle with as well. Fear is a thing that oftentimes controls our actions and our words. They had just seen so many miracles done in Egypt. And they were already starting to wonder about how this relationship with this God was going to go. And one of their first things was they, they got scared. And I, when I was a kid, I used to read those passages where they were complaining and say, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt. Like, how can you say that? You were slaves. And as much as we look down on people back then as 21st century Americans, it's really hard for us, I think, to look back and put ourselves in their place. But even today, in our country, in your neighborhood, in your life, I think you'll find that in times of trouble, often we get scared. And sometimes, oftentimes, we allow that to lead us. And as I'm sure you are all aware, fear is not a very good leader. We can either stare at the obstacles and opposition or be still and watch God work. 
Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. This is the account of Isaiah, so this is him speaking. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah was confronted with the glory and holiness of God, and in that moment he became acutely aware of his own brokenness. He felt unworthy to do the work prescribed for him. And the thing that I learned about God and his leadership is that God doesn't lead us into battle without equipping us first. Like a good leader, he makes sure that we have what we need to do what is right. I think oftentimes in my life, you know, after living 21 years on planet Earth, I've become an expert at excuse making. I can make excuses with the best of them. And I think an old classic that people pull out is when they're faced with something that's challenging, one of our excuses is often, I can't do that because I don't have X, Y, or Z. But I have some news for you. God equips you to do good works. That's a major part of what we do. And if you are frozen um, by fear or you just are an excuse maker, you'll never get to be that hand that reaches out and touch the life of another. If you're constantly spinning in your own world saying, I can't do it because I don't have X, Y, Z, you're never going to have those experiences where you touch someone else's life. And obviously, when I preach, I always try and bring it back to the original text and, of course, Christ. So, popping it back over to John. I'm going to read this again. And I really want you to think about how Christ was the perfect embodiment of God. This figure that the Israelites had heard so much about for centuries. They had so many questions in their mind about who this God was. 
They knew that there were laws about how they were supposed to live so that they could be separate and different from other nations. But for the most part, they still had a lot of questions. And Christ, through his life, through his words and actions, maybe helped answer those questions. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech. The Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf, then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. When I was reading through that, that took me aback when I kept reading that passage in John. And I don't think I had ever noticed that section when he talks about there are other sheep that aren't of this pen, but I have to go get them too. And that's us, in case you didn't know. Jesus is the only leader that can lead us to reconciliation. He's a shepherd who cares so much for his sheep that he willingly lays down his life so that they can have hope. If you allow yourself to be led by anger, fear, self, or anything of this earth, you will find yourself lost. And I want to turn this, and this is for the church and myself included, and this is hard, but I felt that I needed to address it because it's something that I've been wrestling with too. If your hope of salvation is bound up in anything that isn't God, whether it's another person, 
a church building, or a congregation, you'll always find yourself disappointed. I think sometimes we have more a desire to follow and worship the church rather than Christ. And you can tell the Christians apart when times get hard. If you worship the church and its trappings instead of Christ, you've missed the point. I'm going to start wrapping it up by finishing with some thoughts on Christ. When enemies surround you and you're staring at seemingly insurmountable obstacles, let Jesus lead you to peace. When you have doubts concerning God's promises, look at the life of Jesus and the fulfillment of his words. When you second-guess your abilities in trials, look to Jesus to equip you. There we go. I did play 52-card pickup with my papers. I had a feeling. There's, we've been on a, an odd poetry kick lately at the end of these sermons, and I like it. So I wanted to share one with you that kind of that inspired the uh, title for this sermon. But I read it. Um, there's no author's name attached to it, but I wanted to share this with you, and then I will offer up the invitation. poem is called Surrender. My eyes are tired of flags half-mast. My soul is weary of peace that won't last. Is anywhere safe from days full of harm? Is anyone free of the violence alarm? My head strikes the pillow like a mallet on stone in a place more dark than the world has ever known. And yet, there I see him, with outstretched hands and beaming smile. The man from Galilee motions for me to sit a while. Follow me, says he, and leave the dark behind. I'm tired, I said. There's a weariness in my mind. Be still, he replied. Take up this white flag instead. Then I awoke with a new thought in my head. Bring forth the white flag and wave it up and down. Surrender your sinly weapons and cast off your liar's crown. Humble yourself, dear one, in pursuit of Eden's dream and know that God loves us even when we're on the enemy team. Wave your white flags because you shouldn't walk alone. Surrender your burdens at the foot of heaven's throne. Cast off your doubts and walk in the light. Cast aside your wrongs and make a case for the right. Join the throngs of the grateful redeemed who trusted in God no matter how bad it seemed. Like cool still waters 
for the wayward fawn. Jesus is our portion always. Lead on, Christ. Lead on. If you desire to be baptized this morning or you need prayers for something, please take this time uh, to let someone know or to see someone afterwards. Just because sin has led you in the past does not mean that it will lead you forever. If you want Jesus to lead your life, that starts with baptism. And I pray that you would think about that as together we stand and sing.